Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I like the pen in Kuluma which is a Finnish unit of distance that roughly translates as reindeer's piss. That's <laughs> very civilised. It's how long a reindeer can walk yeah. before it needs to urinate. Who invented a second? And why is a second a second? And why is a kilogram a kilogram? And what are we measuring one kilogram against? Welcome to Patented, a podcast all about the history of inventions from the fine folk at History Hit. I'm Dallas Campbell, and today I'm investigating the invention of standardised measurements. I'd always assumed that measurements were standardised, no matter where you are in the world or when you are in history, even though measurements change, I'd always assumed they were standardised, but that is not the case. Standardised measurements, in fact, have a millennia-long and very interesting history, and today's guest author and journalist James Vincent argues that they are just as important as the written word for really understanding history and particularly they're a source that we can use for understanding statehood and power and control through time. James is the author of Beyond Measure, The Hidden History of the Measurement and I got a chance to talk to him today. James Vincent, welcome to the show. Congratulations on your book, which has been out for a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for having me, Dallas. It's a pleasure. It's great. I've been really, really enjoying it. It's just a pleasure to read because it's just nicely written. All the words in the right order. That's great. My, that's... That, that's my review. Over. It's one of those subjects, actually. I'm, like you, utterly fascinated by it. And the, I think the problem with discussions about measurements is they're so ubiquitous that we don't even think about it. It's invisible because it's so ubiquitous. It's only when you, like you and others, when you start drilling into, well, hang on a sec, how does this work? That you realise just how massively important it is, not just in a historical point of view, but just in, for all the human culture basically relies on our ability to measure. Yeah, there's, 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 there's so many levels to it. This is yeah. what really sort of drew me to the subject. And I initially came in with it with these questions, you know, quite basic ones like, why is an inch an inch? Why is yeah. a kilogram a kilogram? Who decides this? How does that yeah. get promulgated? Yeah. So there's like the practical side of it. Yeah. And then there's this deep conceptual as you side of it, which it's is like, deep. how did this shape us? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, why, why is a civilization? Are we so obsessed with measurement? What have we got out of it? And what is it doing to us? Well, it's not even, I think it's not even an obsession. It's, it's so utterly fundamental to the human, yeah. to being what it is to be. It kind of is what it is to be a human. Like if we didn't have any measurement, then we wouldn't be able to, that's it. We'd, we, wouldn't what, to, the, we wouldn't be human. Humans. I don't know when writing the book how strongly to make this claim. No, you can make I it. Can, you think it's legit? Okay, I'm putting it out here then. Measurement is as important to human civilization as language or mathematics, in my opinion. Uh, no, I, well, I, well, it is, in a way, it is language and mathematics. And it hopefully is. in this yeah. discussion, we will 
we will be able to sort of qualify our argument. I mean, me- actually, many years ago, I made a, a programme about time. We did a thing about time dial- and, and sort of measuring time. And I got really... Yeah. A bit like, well, I'll, I'll talk about kilograms in a minute, which was your entry point, I think, in, into the subject. But I, I got really into seconds and what a second was. We were doing... Um, Einstein's theory of relativity, and we were doing time dilation. So we had two atomic clocks, which yes. measured time very, very accurately. And we took yes. one round the world on an aeroplane, and then when we measured them back up, that one was slightly out. How much was the gap? I can't remember. But like, you'd, we're talking slivers, up. slivers. A tiny second, amount. Right? It wasn't. It yeah. wasn't like a Back to the Future adventure. Sound. No, <laughs> it, we were, it wasn't like I wasn't like erased from history. Annoyingly, but um, but it was one of those things, and I just became obsessed by the way that we measure and the history of measurement as well, which yeah. I think is what we're going to talk about here. Yeah. Uh, the trouble is we yeah. could talk about, the trouble is it's such a massive subject. I don't know how we cram it all in. Well, we'll give it, we'll give it a go. If we could send the podcast on some sort of um, trip, a, a plane yeah. around, send it to the moon and back, and then we'd have, you know, thanks to the wonders of time dilation, we'd have more time to talk about it all. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, this pod is a podcast really about origins. It's a podcast yeah. about how things start and, and we kind of always start. From that point of view, and actually, yeah. you may. In, I've, I've got your book in front of me. Actually, paragraph mm. one. <laughs> uh, I shall read to you the the very first measurement, like the first word or the first melody, is lost to time. Well, that's annoying, isn't it? Because I was going to ask. It is. You, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, somewhere in in our evolutionary past, do we have a point? You mentioned sort of notches on sticks or notches on bones, wolf bones. Actually, in your introduction, is that the yeah. first evidence we have that humans suddenly? We wanted to quantify nature or, or kind of put nature in a box somehow. Those notches on sticks that we I, I think it Yeah, I think it's the first tangible evidence we could have. I'm sure with a sort of speculative reading and an anthropological, anthropological speculative bent, you could probably try and, and give a plausible account of how those ideas first came to spring up. But I think a key factor of measurement, what makes measurement measurement, is that it is an act of communication. So there needs to be a record in some sense, and there needs to be a way of sharing that information. So notches on bones is, I think, the best first account we might have of it. That's really interesting because it's kind of, and there's also the, that sort of the, his, the history of kind of five notches of, of notch, 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 and then a notch, line notch. through it, like like in yes. kind of cartoon prison sequences when they're yeah. counting the days that the, that they're in prison. It's yeah. odd. Why did that? Why why is that a thing? Like kind of counting in. Five. So I, I couldn't find any sort of explanation for that. And I think it's the sort of thing where, I don't know I don't know how you tend to approach these subjects, but whenever I start on something like this, I really want to know where the first thing happens. And there are some things, I think, in human history and human science, history of technology, where actually you come up against something that might just be biologically innate. And I'm not a great believer in biological innateness in general. I think it's, it's, it's often um, a shadow of some other effect and we want to get onto it. In the case of the notches, so there's psychological studies I found that suggested that this is a, some sort of a biological limit in the human brain in that when we tend to, um, psychologists call it subitizing, um, which is when you take in a number of things at a glance and the, the human limit for that is four or five basically. But the limit in closely related species like chimpanzees is much, much greater. Oh my God, there's that thing that you said, and I, I, I seem to remember seeing this somewhere else as well, like you can yeah. sort of flash up numbers one to 10 on a screen, like one to yeah. 10 or, or, or different. Yeah. A bit like that game Pelmanism, when you have to remember where the card is. You know, you oh, yes, yeah. You know that, or you have a tray of yeah. objects, you have to remember yes, where they are. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
You do that with a chimpanzee and they can yeah. instantly recall where the numbers one to 10 in order are. Like much, and much more than humans, but then that's the sort yeah. of limit of their cognitive ability. The, w the weird thing about that is, is, is it's faster than humans by a huge degree, but it's also faster than their eye can move. So mm. it's, it, it's sort of they're taking it in in, in their peripheral vision, essentially, yeah. and they have this eidetic memory for certain What's patterns. it called? Eidetic memory? Uh, eidetic, well, yeah, well, you know, when you remember everything, you don't forget anything. I think that's an eidetic memory, I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's you've written it that other. It's a word I wasn't <laughs> familiar with, so I'm, I'm going with this. I like it. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, and again, this is sort of quite speculative because who knows how uh, chimpanzees are, are processing this information exactly, but from the tests we've done, it sort of suggests that, you know, they really don't have any greater understanding. They can't, they can't really number things and count stuff, but they can recognise a pattern and remember it. And yeah. the hypothesis is that at some point, our ancestors had that skill and we swapped it for other cognitive abilities. Wow, oh, that's Including communication and, you know, social abilities. Yeah. OK, so what, when do you think this... So when, do, when did we first start putting <laughs> notches on things? When did we first yes. get a ruler out and started measuring nature? The notches that we have, and again, speculative, we don't quite know what they were being used for, but basically we have these um, ancient bones, uh, some of them are about 30,000 years old, 20,000 years old about this, there's the wolf bone of Czechoslovakia, there's the Ashango bone, which I think is a baboon fibula, and yes, they have these notches on them, and we think they are so well ordered that there has to be some purpose behind that, and we think it may be counting, and it could have been counting, again, speculative, uh, the phases of the moon because they tend to group around 30 notches, which would, which would have been one of the first cycles that would have been most apparent to human observers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is really where measurement comes from, in that it comes from the cycles of nature. And we start counting those cycles. Cycle, well, they, it was a Thursday, I'm going to just say. <laughs> right, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Well, there is, I mean, the cycles of nature, and of course, you know, you, you, you take us back in time to the Sumerians and mm. the Babylonians and the Egyptians. Yeah. And of course, you yeah. think about the, the Nile, as the, the sort of cycles of the Nile in terms yes. of flooding. And, and, and oh God, we could go so deep into this. Gonna, <laughs> I want, but I, I'm going to try, I'm trying to sort of narrow the topics down. Otherwise, of I'm course, gonna, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the, no, the, the let's skip ahead. Of, we can skip ahead to the ancient Egyptians if you like. The, we can, the uh, rabbit hole is too deep. Why do you think measurement is important for understanding our history? There you go. That's, that's my question one for you. Because you talk a lot about control and power, and I'm really yeah. interested in, in, in how that has shaped history. Because I think measurement has been an incredible tool for the state. Um, and for what we would think of, I guess, as, you know, proto-states, statelets, you know, anywhere where there is a settled civilization. And I think this comes back to what I said earlier about measurement being a tool of communication. And I'm, I'm ripping off there a great historian of science named uh, Theodore Porter. And he's talking about quantification in general, but he calls them technologies of distance um, in that they allow you to communicate across time and space. And within the function of a state, that allows you to sort of share knowledge across distant uh, geographies. So that's useful for trade, that's useful for um, the tectonic arts, so building, architecture, whether that's ramparts or granaries, whatever it might be. And it's also useful for the state for sort of having some insight into the activities of its citizens. Although that doesn't become important or doesn't become quite so prominent until we get into sort of the early modern period from you know 1200 on onwards, where we start to see the emergence of more centralized states. Yeah, you mentioned the ancient Egyptians. Yes. And that was one of my sort of favorite 
discoveries that you know I made for myself during the book. I didn't discover this, but I hadn't heard about it before. And this was this thing called the nilometer, which is an artifact used by the ancient Egyptians to measure the depth of the Nile's floods each year. So flooding, obviously incredibly important to the ancient Egyptian state, agricultural economy, the floods deliver the fertile plains that they you know, need to grow their crops on. So in order to predict when how good these floods were going to be, they created nilometers, which are essentially big rulers that they stuck in the Nile and that they measured the depth of the flooding with them each year. And they used that to predict what the state would need to do in the following year. Because if it was a great flood, then you knew that you were going to have a bountiful harvest, everyone was going to be happy. If you saw that there was a bad flood coming, there wasn't going to be enough water, then you'd have to prepare for it. So this is measurement as a tool for predicting the future there you and go. controlling so the state. Yeah, so measure, we, we measure in order to make models in order to understand what, what the world is going to be like in the yes. future. So this is a very human yeah. thing. This, this implies forethought. It implies cognitive ability that can, that can think in terms it's of... It's planning. In, yeah. in, in terms of the future. Yeah. Actually, the interesting thing, the nilometer is an interesting idea, because in your book, there's loads of, lo of examples of just like bonkers measurement standards. Yes. Because we're so used, it's so, it's so normal to think of measuring as, as sort of ubiquitous in terms of there is a standard kilogram and a kilogram is the same here as it is yeah. there. But actually, that is a relatively modern thing because a yeah. nilometer is a, or a measurement of in the ancient Egyptians is going to be different to a measurement perhaps in the Roman world. Yeah, although there is actually, between the Egyptians and the Romans, because, you know, there's obviously a lot of shared knowledge between yeah. them in terms okay, of astronomy. Yeah, example, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, usually, there is usually huge amounts of disjuncture between um, political powers. It's, not, yes. it's, it's never quite so clean-cut as being like, well, this country took over and then it had its measurements and then another country took over and it had its measurements, because there's always a lot of inheritance and... Um, I guess development. So, you know, you bring up the Romans, for example. Um, they had a fantastically rigorous uh, system of measurement. And we still, you know, the effects of that were felt throughout Europe for, um, you know, millennia later in that their basis of weight was the Libra Ponda. Uh, and we now have the pound in uh, England, you know, in Germany, it's the Pfund. In the Netherlands, yeah. it's the Pund. Uh, in Italy, it's the Libra. And so you see how these things are sort of seeded. And yeah. if they're useful, they're often kept for quite a long time. What are some, give us, because there's a few kind of pretty crazy, crazy sort of units of measurement, which we just don't have anymore, like the yeah. way that cows eat grass. Or what. Yes. What was that one called again? I can't remember what that one's called. I think, the, well, this so was it, the collop, I think. Yeah, the collop, that's the one, yes. Yes. Exactly. So this was an old Irish unit of measurement. Yeah. And the is, collop was, yeah, the amount of land needed to graze a single cow for a so day. So rather than, rather than a, a measurement of acre... It's, yeah. a, it's a much more useful measurement in terms of actually how productive an area of land is rather than the, exactly. actual, the, the actual boundaries of things. Yeah, because say you're, say you're selling someone, uh, you, know, a, you know, a kilometre squared of land yeah. and you're selling it sight and seen, you don't know what it's like. And say you're a farmer and you need to know that it's got to be there to support your crops. Yeah. It could be a barren hillside. It could be the, the nicest pasture you've ever seen. It could be a piece yeah. of rock, could be nothing, could be everything. So a collop is a unit that, as you say, encodes this information that is particular to the life and to the labour 
of these individuals. That's really sensible. Do we we don't have any, yes. do we have anything like that anymore? I, I think we still have ad hoc measurements of a sort. Um, the thing is that these ad hoc mm, these flexible measurements, if you want yeah. to call them that, perhaps um, they got overtaken and they got outcompeted by very abstract, unchanging, consistent units of measurement. The metric system being the uh, we're going to come on to that. that. In a minute. We'll come on to that. But yeah. I I was actually thinking of, you know I've been thinking about this obviously for a while now. <laughs> you have. But, You've been you have written a really <laughs> very good book about it. So. But I think we do have sort of ad hoc measurements, but then they're, they're not formalised in the same way. So you might think to yourself, you know, yes. I've got a journey to take. That's going to be two podcasts length. And that's not a strict that's, unit of time. But That makes me really happy. Because actually we think, of, we think of these abstract measurements as a bit, a bit sort of arcane and ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like that, like that one. But actually, no, we measure things in terms of Olympic swimming pools and whales yeah. and... I really like phone batteries. I was thinking about this the other day, in that you sort of estimate sometimes how much phone battery you've got left to give, and like, oh, do I need to do this before recharging? And it's sort of a, it's a really flexible, weird unit of time that yeah. like, relates to your personal understanding of your phone and what it's going to do. And I don't know, I think we come up with a lot of these, basically. You're right. Without thinking. I, yeah, podcast is quite a good one. I've started to use podcasts as a kind of measurement system in my, in my brain. Yeah. The trouble is that podcast, they're so random in terms of length. Like, yes. My podcasts are relatively short. This one's kind of half an hour. Actually, this one might be a bit longer, I think. <laughs> We'll be back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Kate Lister, sex historian and author, and I am the host of Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex, scandal and society, a new podcast from History Hit. Join me as I root around the topics which have been skipped over in your school history lessons. Everything from the history of swearing to pubic hair, satanic panic, cults, there is nothing off limits. We'll be bed-hopping around different time periods, from ancient civilizations to the Middle Ages to Renaissance and early modern right up to now. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I think that the thing that you, actually, you mentioned it again at the beginning, that you got into this because of the redefinition of the kilogram. So I thought I yes. just might just sort of talk about that because I don't know if people know that. So yeah. something like the second, is, is there is a mathematical function behind what, why a second is a second. You know, mm-hmm. People, mm-hmm. people can Google that. But a kilogram itself was always an artefact. There was a lump of metal in a vault yeah. in Paris yeah. called yeah. Le Grand K, mm-hmm. which I remember, in a sort of glass bell jar. And, and that was the, the, the standard kilogram, and everything was measured off that bit of metal. Now, yeah. of course, it's going to gain weight and it's going to lose weight, even, even though it's protected, but it's yeah. not going to be very precise. So they quite recently, they recalibrated it by using a constant of nature, plant constant. Yeah. And you got involved in that. Did you kind of go over while they were this great sort of switchover was happening? I, I went over there in 2018 when they were first, they did the official vote on it. And then the sort of changing in the guard happened um, twen- in 2019. I think it was March or something. So what was uh, the vote? It was between a plank constant in nature and, and something else. And I can't remember what it was. So there, there was an alternate method, um, which was to do with counting the mole. Not the animal. <laughs> no, not the animal. No, the no, atoms no. in some carbon, I think. <laughs> exactly. Well, in a, a perfectly spherical, spherical doodah thing. Yeah, which which was an amazing in itself. But they sort of it was one of those things where you know there's so much work that's gone into it that actually all the questions about it had been settled well in advance. And the the ceremony that I went to see uh, was really everyone congratulating one another on on a fantastic job that they'd done. And but it but it was very moving. The thing no one's going to know. Like no, nobody beyond the weights and measures people are going to know that we no longer measure it from an artefact we actually measure it from some maths instead this is what the scientists said to me they said if we do our job rightly no one will notice and that's how they that's how they felt about these things you know they're sort of like i don't know i i imagine them as some sort of like invisible secret superhero team which is my romanticized idea of scientists perhaps but you know working in the background to maintain essentially one of the most important struts that upholds modern civilization, the metric system, and it really is. It's an amazing thing, but I'm, I, lo- I love the. the I, for a long time, I've been fascinated by Le Grand Cave. I've been fascinated yeah. by the because I love things, I love objects, and I love the fact that we measure things by you know the ruler, which is exactly a meter long that's in Paris, yes. and the lump of metal. But now it's all just kind of mathematics and and much more, uh, well, much, more accurate, much more accurate. Well, it makes sense. You kind of yeah, kind of need it I, to be you know. I had mixed feelings about it. So uh, one slight correction I will, I will say is that there were actually two lumps of metal. One was mm. the kilogram of the archives, as it's now called, which was originally done du- during the creation of the metric system. And then they replaced that about a century later, I think 1888 or something like that, with uh, Le Grand K, the international prototype kilogram, uh, which was actually forged by a British firm because we did the best metallurgy at this point in time. So, you know, despite the the, the desire by some UK residents to distance themselves from the metric system, actually, we've been involved in its creation since the very beginning. Oh, that's a good... Let's... I want to ask you about that. (laughs) Okay, so basically, anything that involves invention or something either comes down to Edison 
right. or the French <laughs> Revolution. Okay. <laughs> if we're talking about measurement, at some point we have to talk about how it all became standardised. Yeah. Because standardized. why? There's no point in ha- having measurement if everyone measures things differently and, and people yeah. were measuring things differently. A hand, horsepower, whatever it is. So yeah. when did the metric system come about? Cue the French Revolution. The metric system came about as pressures in France, which were both practical and desires in France, which were ideological, is how I think about it. So, you know, you have this system. We've, we've skipped off of a lot of history from the ancient Egyptians to the French we Revolution. Have. But you, Do you we have. I'll fill a little bit of it. So you have, obviously, countries and states um, realise that standardising units of measurement to be used by their people is very, very important because it is useful for trade, it's useful for the building, and it's useful to keep people happy. So there's this great pressure to create standardised units of measurement. And there's great privilege and power associated with being in control of that. In France, this creates a problem in part because in Ancien Regime France, a lot of power is devolved to the nobility in various ways. And they end up setting standards that are specific to their province or their town or whatever their, you know, their sphere of influence is. And this is one of the reasons that France is tormented by variations of units. There's this great account by a visiting English agriculturist called Arthur Young, who goes over in the years before the revolution to see how France's economy is doing, basically. And he talks about the tormenting perplexities of the French system of measurement, and how you could go from one town to the next and the same unit would be used, but it would have a value that was maybe 100%, 150% different in its capacity. So there's the pint, for example, and that differs from 0.8 litres in one town to 3 litres in another town. <laughs> this, creates, this creates confusion Annoying and this creates anger. Yeah. Well, also things, things like time in Britain, you know, the railways, we had different time zones in Britain. We did. And just, and just like crazy stuff like that, which we, seems bonkers now. Well, it was, it is bonkers. But th- this is what measurements do. And I think the time railway stuff is a great example of that that I now wish I'd put in the book, is that it knits together time and space and it unifies what might be a disparate geography into a single cohesive unit. So yeah. this was the practical inducement for the French revolutionaries to create a consistent system of units that was the same throughout France because they thought it would really help the economy. How, I mean, how in, in, when, they, when they're having their revolution, like yeah. how high on the list of priorities? Are there other things, or we've got to kill the king, you know, we've yeah. got to become a republic. <laughs> like where was kind of weights and measures on that kind of list of like stuff to do? Well, actually, wonderfully, we have a really good idea of how high up the list it was because of this um, document called the Cahier de Doléances, which was a sort of survey of the discontent of France created by the Third Estate. They sent out questionnaires, basically, to all the towns, and they were like, what really pisses you off today? Mm. And they got this list back, and weights and measures, I can't remember the exact number, and it's in the book somewhere, but it was about, it was 20s to 30s, basically, in this list of of hundreds. So it was pretty high up. Uh, You know, it, it, it was sort of, it was... There was this slogan at the time, which was one king, one law, one weight, one measure. So it was enough that it became a rallying point because people felt that they were being cheated. And presumably, like Napoleon, who loved science, you know, he had his group of scientists that he would travel. And and I think of Napoleon going to Egypt with his scientists and measuring Egypt and sort of trying to understand this sort of civilization. So it was, I guess, kind of embedded in in that particular culture. Did it kind of spread? They sort of said, right, we're going to have this standardization of weights and measures. Did that spread naturally throughout the rest of the world? It had been something that had sort of been on the cards before this. People had been, scientists had been talking about it 
um, for a while that it would really benefit humanity if we had this. So there was some natural favorability towards it. There were many reasons that the metric system was sort of objected to in the US and the UK particularly. Uh, and one of them was the definition of the meter, which was uh, one ten millionth of the distance from the equator to the North Pole. And it was based on this survey measuring the Paris meridian. But at the time, it was not sort of clear whether the meridian was the same, whether, whether the Earth was a perfect sphere. And it turns out that it's not. So that meant that the meridian could only be the Paris one. Anyway, so oh, that's interesting. I, yeah. Could you actually tell us what the I, I sort of talk about the metric sure. system? We all sort of understand roughly. Yeah. What did what did it mean at the time? The metric system, like what was the sort of thought behind? You know, you mentioned distance there. What about things like weight? Why is a kilogram a kilogram? A, a big thing was that the units would be interconnected that they would be dependent on one another. I guess there's three big characteristics of the metric system. The first uh, is that it had new names and prefixes. Uh, the second was that it was decimal, that it was base 10 rather than base 12 or 16 that was common for a lot of other systems of measurement. And was there the a reason why they wanted base 10? Like why, if we'd been thinking in terms of ounces and 12s and 16s, sure. why 10? Like what was it? About? Well, there were, there were a lot of scientists involved in its creation and they were prejudiced or they were biased towards it. And they thought the decimal system was going to be something that would educate the masses, that it was a more, more useful system when it came to calculating in very large and very small numbers. It obviously allows for easy conversions by just moving the decimal point. Um, so you could switch between units and uh, spans quite quickly. Um, and they thought that it would be something that would be like teaching everyone in your country how to speak another language or something like that. They thought it would help, and there's a quote, I think, which would help make citizens um, self-sufficient in their own calculations. So it would help people understand their own personal accounts better. So there was a, it, they thought it would be improving for people. And the interconnectedness of the units, that was the other thing, is that you take the metre... And then you would take a cube made from the meter, from a decimeter, and then you would fill that with water, and then that would be the kilogram. So that you'd be able to create one unit from the other units. And was it was there a kind of... It wasn't like an instant switchover. You know when, I think mm. in Sweden, they suddenly started driving on the other side of the road after midnight. Yeah. It wasn't like, right, yeah. this is it. As on Tuesday, we're going metric. It was introduced in this sort of quite dramatic fashion because it was the French Revolution and they were all in for the big upheavals of society. But there was, as you suggest, a lot of resistance to it and a lot of old units that got used. And you mentioned Napoleon earlier. So obviously he takes over at one point uh, and yes, he, starts spreading, he starts spreading the metric system all around Europe and imposing it on some countries. And some are actually very annoyed about this and some are actually quite grateful because they are aware of the inadequacies of their own <laughs> system. And it's quite, quite nice sometimes to have someone go in and go right we're getting rid of that and you have to use this and yeah. there's going to be no complaint it's one of those things that's sort of easier in tyranny than it is in democracy if you know what i mean yeah um but because of this actually um the difficulties of introducing it france is not only the first country to adopt the metric system it's the first country to reject it and napoleon gets rid of metric measures and he creates this sort of compromise system called mesure usiel uh, where he keeps he gets the old names and he sort of updates some of their values um, because people were getting frustrated by it and napoleon napoleon said that the metric system was tormenting people with trivia that they had to remember too many names and too many prefixes um, but one, he'd spread it over the European continent, it took root. And a lot of people started using it and seeing it as the superior system that should be adopted everywhere. Why not in America? Why is America still, particularly America, still so, 
yeah, we don't have the metric system here. They still talk about it like, and like, what? It seems so crazy. There's a few reasons. One of them is that they thought it was too French. They thought because <laughs> the because the meter was based on the French, the Paris Meridian. They thought, you know, the Jefferson God, was talking about this. Yeah, <laughs> but it's sort of understandable. It, there is, there's. There is a lot of straightforward xenophobia in dislike of the metric system. Um, and because it's associated with the excesses of the revolution, people start talking about it as this unnatural imposition, as this atheistic, you know, blood-curdling, you know, destruction of the natural order. That is part of it. But the big thing for America is that America is a big thing in that their economy is so large um, that they don't really need to change to a new system. And that's also true of the UK. Because we had the British Empire, we had an, a huge internal market that the idea of sort of adopting what everyone else is doing in order to harmonise trade with them wasn't actually needed for us. Um, it, obviously, we're in a very different situation now. A little bit of harmonised trade with the rest of the world would go down nicely. <laughs> it's interesting, though, how, how how these you know cultural things still play on, and and you know we we like to have our own little systems as as you describe. But actually, if you're doing science, if you really want to understand how nature works properly, you've got to have a unified system and a system that we you all. Do agree on i think that wasn't yeah. there a famous case where they sent a probe to mars and some of them yes. were doing it in inches and some of them were doing it in millimeters and the yeah. whole thing and it blew up or is that, <laughs> it, was that an apocryphal story i don't know actually. no that genuinely true there was a full nasa investigation into it and um it was not to do with inches it was something to do with capacity measures i believe in terms of calculating the fuel burn rate and it wasn't that it necessarily blew up but they they got the trajectory wrong for the entry into the mars atmosphere and it bounced off and blithered away into space but lost millions millions and millions of dollars because of it you mentioned uh, our current situation. There, there seems to be a lot of politics wrapped up in measurements and who controls yeah. measurements and, and who decides the way we do things. Historically, have kind of governments used measurements as a way of controlling people, or a way of asserting dominance, if you like, or political power? Yeah, they have. I mean, the thing is that measurement really is wrapped up in political sovereignty. Measurement becomes wrapped up with ideas of national strength. Um, and in the US and the UK particularly, there is this movement in the 19th century where it's seen as an imposition of a foreign order. And it's, it's really interesting because you see a lot of strands emerge that are really resonant still today. So you have people talking about the new world order that is going to be imposed upon people. And it starts with measurement. Yes. Yeah, there is that sort of libertarian sort of backlash against against that, that sort of idea. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose we see it, you know, much closer to home with Brexit. We're starting to see a kind of pushback against... I, I, I read, so are we going to have pints on pint glasses again? There was a poll done by YouGov and it was of people who had voted for Brexit and it was what do you want to see returned and I, I can't remember the exact order but there was you know there was six or so items listed in the poll and they included the return of blue passports uh, the return of imperial units of measure and bring back hanging those were, <laughs> those were the demands. Those <laughs> were what people were most looking forward to, apparently. That's crazy. But, but it's, so it is a nostalgia project. But I yeah. actually think Weights and Measures has really been part of Brexiteers' campaign for a long time. So, the, do you know the case of the Metric Martyrs? No. 
So metric martyrs were in a group of traders, sort of vegetable, you know, uh, grocery traders, market store traders, in 2000, 2001, who got prosecuted for not using the correct units of uh, weight and measure uh, on their stalls. They weren't prosecuted for using imperial, they were prosecuted for not offering metric as an option. They had to do both. That was what the, the, right. the law required, and they okay. only wanted to do imperial. And they became a bit of a cause celebre. You, you look at the sort of early press scrum that happened around these individuals, and Nigel Farage is there. And he is fulminating about how this case shows that, you know, the UK can no longer decide its future. We are being controlled by bureaucrats by from e, the EU who are taking away our heritage. And there's a really fascinating piece by, I think, a former BBC politics editor who said he describes this case as the starting gun for Brexit because it was the moment where people saw what was happening or they thought they did anyway. Well, that's what I mean. I would argue, you know, Brexit is nothing to do with facts. It's nothing to do with we're going to <laughs> no. be better here. It's everything to do with culture, with our culture and how we see the world yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and how we see our position in the world and our history and everything else. Hey, listen, we're kind of... Crikey, we're running out of time. Just very quickly, as a sort of little end point, do you have a favourite measurement? I'm obsessed by uh, collecting odd measurements now. And yes. your, your cow one from Ireland, what's it called again? The, the collop. Collop might be my new Collip, favourite. Do you have, C-O-L-L-O-P. Do you have a, a favourite that we should go back to? I like the peninculma, um, mm. which is a Finnish unit of distance um, that roughly translate as, translates as reindeer's piss. Um, that's very, <laughs> very civilised. Pissing it is how, It's how long a reindeer can walk yeah. before it needs to urinate. Um, In my case, it's very it's short because I'm a middle-aged man. Right. So I... <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, a Dallas piss. Then Dallas why piss. don't we invent that as a new unit of measurement it's today? We inaugurate mile. it. It's about yeah? a mile. Is it? Yeah. Great. And then I need Fine. to go. Well, that makes it easy. We can just change <laughs> the units on the signposts. We don't need to worry about anything like that. <laughs> I'll draw it. I'm good at drawing such things. Okay. Uh, James, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk. I could talk all day. Um, your book <laughs> been is out. And also, your book's got a lovely. Co- I've actually taken the dust jacket off your book because I noticed along the side there's a cunning a- ruler. There is a ruler on the spine. Beyond Measure, James Vincent, it's out now. It's beautiful and it's beautifully written and it's fascinating, so thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, Dallas. Really enjoyed this. Okay, that is it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening. If you want to hear more from our guest, I thoroughly recommend his book, Beyond Measure. It's out now. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. It helps others discover the show. Don't forget as well, if you want me to investigate a particular invention or a thing, an artefact or an idea that has a beginning, get in touch and we will stick it on our list. Next up on the next episode, we have uh, a discussion about the invention of baby formula. So if you have a a new baby and you use formula and you've wondered, where on earth does baby formula come from? Who, who, Who came up with that idea? Don't forget to tune in. It's a really, really fascinating story. I look forward to your company then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 
While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.